Please turn with me in your Bibles to the Gospel of John. Today we are in John chapter 20. This is John's account of the resurrection. Um, it's also John's thesis statement for his book. Um, those of you that um, remember writing in high school and elementary school and in college or are desperately trying to forget having to write in high school and college, the thesis statement is the purpose for the, the, the piece that you were writing. And typically we put that at the beginning so that people can know what it is that we are talking about. But John gives us to us here near the end of his book in John chapter 20. And so read along with me if you have your Bibles as I read from John chapter 20, beginning in verse one. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter, who was behind him, arrived and went into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the burial cloth that had been around Jesus' head. The cloth was folded up by itself, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went inside. He saw and believed. They still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes but Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I do not know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. Woman, he said, why are you crying? Who is it that you are looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will get him. And Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and cried in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said, Do not hold on to me, for I have not yet returned to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am returning to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And after he said this, he showed him his hands and his side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone his sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Now Thomas, called Didymus, one of the twelve, was, with him, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and, and put my finger where the nails were, and put my hand into his side, I will not believe it. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. 
Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And he said to Thomas, Put your finger here, see my hands, reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. And Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Let us pray. Our God and Father above, as we study this scripture today, I ask that you would grab our hearts and our minds. Or turn us away from the things of this earth and help us to be filled in the glory of your word and in the glory of the Savior, which it proclaims to us. Lord, help us to walk more closely with you, to be filled with the hope that you give to your people. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So as I mentioned, this particular passage has John's thesis statement. Why did John write the gospel of John? By the time he wrote it, it was likely that the other three Gospels had been circulating for a few years, maybe a decade or two. Um, But John adds to that account of Jesus, uh, to those accounts of Jesus' life, his own account as he lived it, as he witnessed it. We're told in the in the letters to uh, to the church in first John that that he was an eyewitness to the things that he has written about, that he will write about uh, both in the gospel and in that letter. So why did John write this letter when there were already letters around, when there were already Gospels uh, circulating? Well, he tells us right here in verse 30 and 31 of today's passage. He said, Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. It was important for John uh, for his audience to have this book so that they would believe, uh, so that they would, would put their faith in Jesus and have the life that he offered to them. But also notice that he sticks this thesis statement at the end of a passage where we have groups of people who start out not believing and then believe after a time. And so that's who I want us to look at today, is these groups of people, Mary Magdalene, the disciples, and ultimately us, who started out not believing, but then believed. So first, Mary Magdalene saw and believed. So Mary is on her way to the tomb. Now we do know from the other Gospels that she was not alone. She and and the other women were headed to the tomb on the day after the Sabbath. They were unable to get access to the tomb on the Sabbath. They were on their way there to finish the preparation of Jesus' body for burial. And that's, that's a significant fact that oftentimes we overlook. They are, were on their way to the tomb to prepare Jesus' body for burial, for its final resting place. And that is significant because we are told several times, at least three times throughout Jesus' ministry with the disciples, that he told them that his mission involved him dying on the cross and, the, and then being raised back to life again. And so were these ladies on the way to the tomb to see and to witness the resurrection of Jesus? No, they were on the way to the tomb to take care 
of the body of their friend who had been murdered. But we focus in on Mary Magdalene here in the, in the book of John, and Mary was one who had been freed from, from demonic oppression by Jesus in his ministry. She may have been one that uh, helped support Jesus financially in his ministry over the three years that he ministered. But we know that she was close to this group of disciples, and she heard much of Jesus' teaching over his time in ministry. She would have heard over and over again that Jesus was going to die and then raise again from the dead. And so she comes to the tomb and she finds it empty. And what's her first response? Is her first response, hallelujah, Jesus rose as he said? No, her first response, as soon as she gets an opportunity to ask somebody what's going on, her first response is to ask, where have you, where have you hidden my, my friend's body? Why have you stolen his body? Where have you, where have you hid it? And so she is still in her doubt. She is still in her disbelief. And then after this, after her, this time of disbelief, we'll cover Peter and John here in just a moment and the rest of the disciples. But after she goes and sees them and comes back, she sees the angels. She, she looks to this stranger or this person that she thinks is a stranger and he speaks to her. And after she asks the question about where have you hidden my Lord's body, he calls her by name. Very tenderly, he, he calls out Mary. She finally realizes who this is. And it, and it sinks into her these teachings that, that, that she had heard from Jesus and she believed in Jesus' resurrection. He, he reveals himself to her and reminds her that he is only there with them temporarily, but he reveals himself to her in a very personal way. Our belief comes oftentimes through the still small voice. So we may have heard the gospel for years. We may have heard the resurrection story for years. We may have heard that Jesus offers the forgiveness of sins and reconciliation with God so that, so that the punishment due our sins can pass over us. We may have heard that for years, but oftentimes that moment where we finally believe, that moment where we finally surrender our lives to the Savior comes in a moment when that Savior reveals himself to us tenderly and by name, it may be in the help given by a friend, or it may be in him just revealing to us his healing and his peace. But just as he came to Mary tenderly and revealed himself to her, he will do the same for us. So Mary saw and believed. Well, then the disciples saw and believed, and this unfolded over three stages to their seeing and to their belief. Mary, when she gets to the empty tomb, she flees. She runs back to where the disciples are and she tells the disciples that his body is not there. And so we are told of a race, a race to the tomb by Peter and John. John is the other disciple that uh, he, he refers to himself anonymously throughout the gospel of John. But John is the other disciple and he gives us this great little detail here you know it's a guy writing this because he gives us this detail that he got there first. He wanted the world to know that John beat Peter to the tomb. But notice what he did when he got there. He stopped. He could see. He could see that the place where the body had been laying, he could, he could see the, the clothes folded up there, but he stopped. He didn't go all the way in. And it took Peter bringing up the rear and coming in and, and blowing past him and all of 
in all of Peter's just just boldness and all of Peter's brashness, he, he barrels right past John into the tomb and he looks and he sees this empty place. And then John follows him in. And, and they believe, they, they begin to believe, but John also gives this, this, this statement in verse 9. He said, they still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. And we see this continued doubt as they go back to the other disciples. They're there that later that day and that evening. And they're in a locked room for fear of the Jews. Now, if you had followed a man for three years, And he told you that he was going to die and that he was going to be raised again from the dead and to defeat death, to defeat sin. And you now knew that his body was not where it was last left. And he had most likely done exactly what he said he would do, which was to raise from the dead. Would you lock yourself in a room and hide? No, you'd probably be running throughout town shouting the good news as they do a month and a half, two months later. But no, they're locked in a room, still doubting, still not understanding. Okay, you know, he said this, but we just don't get it. And it's in the midst of that doubt. It's in the midst of that lack of understanding that Jesus comes into this locked room. And he speaks peace on them. He he tells them, peace be with you. And and he and he gives them this uh, this almost ordination uh, service, if you will, that we see in verses 21 and 22, that as he sends them out, he he empowers them through the Holy Spirit to to move forward into the, the culture and to proclaim the Lord's death and the Lord's resurrection. And then their friend Thomas comes a little bit later, Jesus leaves and Thomas comes a little bit later. So we first stage was Peter and John. The second stage was these 11 disciples minus Thomas. And now we see a week later, they're still locked in the room. Um, They've seen Jesus. They're still wondering what's going on. They're still doubting. They're still not understanding. They're still in fear. And and Thomas comes and enters the room and they say, look, we have seen the Lord. And Thomas with his 10 of his best friends there who have just been eyewitnesses to the resurrected Lord in an act of faith and trust in his best friends, Thomas goes, "Eh, I ain't going to believe it till I see it. Think about that. You've spent three years of your life in close fellowship with these 10 men and your response to them, we have seen the Lord is I'll believe it when I see it. And then it is a week later when they're back in the house again and Thomas is with them and Jesus walks in and he gives them the same greeting. Peace be with you. And he turns to Thomas and he said, look, here are my scars. Touch my scars, both on my hands and on my side. Touch them. Stop doubting and believe. You know, Thomas gets a bad rap sometimes. I mean, we even call him Doubting Thomas. But they all doubted, didn't they? And did Christ, did, did Jesus, was Jesus First words to Thomas, why are you doubting? I taught you all this stuff. Why have you forgotten it? Those first words to Thomas were peace upon you. And so the disciples go through this three-stage process of moving from doubt and disbelief into belief. It works that way for us sometimes as well, does it not? We either spend a life doubting the reality, the truth of 
of the resurrection. That's the, we don't see resurrections at all. And it's hard for us as humans to believe that something that we don't see could actually come to pass. But Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 15, I'd encourage you to read it. Paul reminds us that not only was this seen by the disciples, but this, the resurrected Jesus was seen by well over 500 people over a 40-day period. And he even tells them to look at their own lives and they can see the work of Christ, the resurrected Christ that has brought life to them, that has brought reconciliation with God to them. And he says all this pursuit of holiness, all this pursuit of a life worthy of Christ, not worthy of being saved by Christ, but worthy of the salvation that we have been given. It's, it's futile. It's worthless if this is not true. And so the disciples go through this period of belief where, where Jesus, over this period of time, takes them tenderly through their doubt, through their disbelief, and brings them to a place where they finally believe and put their rest completely and wholly in him. So Mary Magdalene saw and believed. The disciples saw and believed. And then Jesus speaks to us. Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen me and yet have believed. We are 2000 years separated from this event. Jesus, we're told at the end of the Gospels, at the beginning of Acts, that he was ascended back up into heaven. We profess that as we profess the Apostles' Creed, that he ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. As we see John's later writing in the book of Revelation, we see Jesus in the throne room of God, working out history according to God's sovereignty and to God's plan. But, but we don't see the resurrected Jesus. But John has given us this book, which we're told here does not include absolutely everything that Jesus did. He, he, he begins this statement by saying that Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in his book. At the end of chapter 21, he said if they were written down, that John supposes that the whole world would not have room for the books that would be written. We have, we have the cliff notes of Jesus' life in these four gospel accounts. But we have everything that we need to believe that he is exactly who he said he was. And who did he say he was? Well, first, he claimed to be the Son of God. Claimed to be the second person of the Trinity, very God of very God, as the Nicene Creed says. In the beginning of John, in John chapter 1, we hear him, we hear John say that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. That the Word was Jesus. Later on in the Gospel of John, the, the, the religious leaders seek to stone him, seek to execute him because he was claiming to be God, claiming to be the Son of God, claiming to be the Messiah. So Jesus calls us to believe that he is the son of God, co-equal with God, fully human, fully man. He also calls us to believe that we are sinners throughout the gospels. He calls people to repent. Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Why do we need to repent? 
We need to repent because we have rebelled against God, both as humanity and as individuals. And we need to turn from that rebellion and turn back to love for God. And so we are called to believe that Jesus is the Son of God, and we are called to believe that we are sinners before God. And because we are sinners, we are deserving of judgment. Jesus said in John 3, I did not come into the world to condemn the world, but so that some may be saved through me. The reason he didn't come to condemn the world is because of sin. The world is already condemned. But he came to offer salvation. He came to offer reconciliation. Of course, we know that God is a just God and he cannot offer forgiveness without also satisfying his justice. And so he came to take the punishment for sins upon himself on the cross so that our punishment would fall on him. Our sin would be punished in him so that his righteousness could be laid upon us. You see, he is the only hope of sinful humanity. He is the only hope for those who stand condemned and judged before God. He is the only hope of salvation. And we are called merely to believe. Echoing the words from John 3.16, John says here, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So Mary saw and believed. The disciples saw and believed. And we are called to believe. We do have this interplay between doubt and belief in this passage. Mary's first impulse is to assume that the man before her is the gardener. And yet he is the resurrected Savior. John gets to the tomb first, but is fearful and will not enter. The disciples are locked in the upper room, hoping not to be the next one arrested. And Thomas refuses to believe until his sight is confirmed. And then they were moved to belief through interaction with the Savior. You know, all of us wrestle with doubt in regard to the resurrection. Some of you may be here having never embraced the truth of Jesus' work and wondering, how can these fools believe all of this? I would encourage you to examine the testimony that the authors of the Bible have given with And I would encourage you to do that with an open mind. I'd encourage you to read the gospel accounts of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. I'd encourage you to read Paul's account in 1 Corinthians 15 of the resurrection and the importance that it is for our past forgiveness of sins, for our present pursuit of holiness, and for our future time in glory. And I would encourage you to talk with someone who believes and who finds hope in the comfort of the resurrection and ask your questions. And listen to the answers. But you may also be here today having embraced the work of Jesus on your behalf, on your behalf, but doubting his continued work in your life. I would also encourage you to examine the witness of Scripture regarding who you are before Jesus today. Maybe you're struggling with a sickness that 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 the Bible tells you has been defeated, and yet you still feel weighed down by the burden of that difficulty. Maybe you are weighed down by the burden of pursuing holiness and it just seems so far out of reach. How could God ever love me? Be encouraged and believe what the Bible says about you. The Bible teaches that God loves you in Christ. The Bible teaches that God showered that love on you from the cross. 
I encourage each and every one of us today to find peace and comfort in the testimony that Scripture gives about who you are in Jesus. Let us pray. Our God and Father above, as we consider your resurrection, as we celebrate it today, remind us of what it means for us. Draw us to believe more deeply in the truth that, that death and sin and hell and Hades have been defeated in the cross and in the resurrection. And Lord, help us to live as your people. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. As you go this week, take the blessing of the resurrected Savior upon you. Let the beloved of the Lord rest secure in him, for he shields them all day long. And the one Lord, the one the Lord loves rests between his shoulders. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Amen.